The 49ers are five and eight. And there is this fence, and you're on either side of this fence. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. There is the side of the fence that suggests the 49ers are better off losing their remaining three games, playing for draft position, playing for a better chance to draft a quarterback that Kyle Shanahan can develop, a quarterback that can be the face of this franchise for 10-plus years. And that side of the fence is not wrong. Everybody is in full-on agreement that the best-case scenario for the 49ers is to find a long-term answer at quarterback. That could be signing a guy like Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott's going to be costly, but it could become a possibility. That may mean trading up in the draft to land a guy like Zach Wilson, like Trey Lance. That's one side of the fence. One side of this coin mm -hmm. is the team being better off for the sake of draft position. Then you have the other side of the fence, the other side of the coin, which is what I like to call the Herm Edwards quote that I love. You play, you play to, win the, to game. win the game. You play to win the game. You don't play just to play it. You play to win the game. Hello, and that's personally the side of the fence that I'm on. I'm on the side where each victory is a good victory. Wins matter. You take pride in victories. You play to win. You worry about the draft and later on. You worry about the draft later on. And again, if you're worried about draft positioning right now, you're not wrong either. Because when the draft rolls around, the higher of a draft, pick you have, the better chances you have of landing your future quarterback or trading less draft capital to move up to draft the quarterback of your future. Again, both sides of the equation have very strong arguments. I, for one, am on the Herm Edwards side, and I'll lay everything out as to why I'm on that side. Marco, let's start with you because I have a lot to say, a lot to say about this specific topic. What's your take? See, for me, I'm, I'm in between. Like, I understand, like, why, why people say um, get the higher draft pick right now while you can. But then at the same time, I also understand that we wouldn't have landed Richard Sherman of the 49ers. They didn't go on a five-game win streak. We wouldn't have had that, that name going into the 2018 season of the 5-0 and team down the stretch. We wouldn't have been um, potentially – looking at a playoff berth if Jimmy Garoppolo didn't go down to the ACL. So I understand that winning is part of the 49ers culture. You, who wants to lose? Like, like I, I have a quote that I live by. I hate losing more than I love winning. Like, I cannot stand to lose in anything in life. And, like, for me to say, like, oh, yeah, let, let them lose. Nah, like, I want a quarterback. But at the end of the day, I've seen enough teams trade up in the draft to get their guy. It's not about – whether you have that that pick um, in the top five. If you have it, for example, if the 49ers think Trevor Lawrence is their guy and they want to send seven to eight freaking draft picks over to the New York Jets in the first round, but that's your guy, I'm all for it because I'd rather you lose going all in on your quarterback than not. So for me, I understand the fans that are Zach Wilson or bust, Zach Wilson. Or, but thing is, you could come up with one of the most gifted um, arms in the draft with Trey Lance sitting at 12, 
sitting at 18. And if they really want, they could set up to like eight to make sure they land that guy. So for me, uh, I'd rather win because one, I cannot stand Cowboy fans. And if you can stand Cowboy <laughs> fans when they beat the 49ers, you're, you're just smoking some good stuff. And I need that because I cannot stand them. And two, we end up playing the Seattle Seahawks. Who likes to lose to the Seahawks? Nobody. If you like losing to the Seahawks, comment in the, the comments section below because I want to have a talk with you. And then the Arizona Cardinals. We could knock the Arizona Cardinals out of the damn playoffs. Why not do it? So for me, I understand um, getting a quarterback high in the draft, but I also understand there's a few teams like the Cincinnati Bengals we could trade up with. Um, the Chargers just lost, but I think they could end up climbing back up to the top seven. Chargers won. One, 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 my bad. Right. They won, but – Technically, for the draft, they lost because they, they dropped oh, to nine. So that, for me, yep. I, I see it as they lost. I'm with you. I'm with you 100%. And this is something I'm very passionate about. I laid it all out on Twitter last night. I want to touch on a couple things here. First, I had a flashback. It's when I was in sixth grade. The year was 2006. 2006. I was 10 years old, 11 years old at this time. The 49ers were five and eight. Five and eight. They beat the Seahawks on Thursday night football. It was the game where Vernon Davis caught the ball in the end zone. He puts his foot up on the pylon in Seattle and starts motioning like he's a bird. I loved every second of it. I mm -hmm. was at recess the very next day, caught a touchdown pass in our little touch football game and mocked it. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway, it's Friday because the 49ers just played on Thursday night. It's Friday. I'm in class and I'm daydreaming. I'm thinking about the 49ers' upcoming schedule. I know it's not realistic that the 49ers are going to get into the playoffs. And I was fixated on this idea as I was sitting in my sixth grade class. Miss Heckerman was my teacher. Littman Middle shout School, my hometown. Of, shout out Miss Heckerman. Shout out Brisbane, California. Shout out Littman Middle School. I was sitting in there daydreaming. Daydreaming about the 49ers ruining the playoff hopes of the Denver Broncos, ruining it. They were not, they had nine, eight, nine wins at the time and they played each other week 17. And I was thinking about how satisfied I'd feel if the 49ers ruined the fun for Mike Shanahan's Denver Broncos and all the Denver Bronco fans in all of Colorado. I love the idea of that. And sure enough, they play New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2006. What happens? Joe Nenny game-winning field goal in overtime. The Broncos close out the year with a 9-7 and seven record, don't make the playoffs. I remember the look on each and every one of their faces <laughs> after the 49ers kicked them out of the playoffs. Remind you, I'm going to remind everybody, 2006, the 49ers started off with a 5-7 record, 5-8 record. They beat the Seahawks on Thursday Night Football. They lost to the Cardinals. They kept battling. They beat the Broncos. No one worried about draft positioning back then. Nobody. And you know who the 49ers ended up with in the 2007 NFL draft? They ended up with Patrick freaking Willis and Joe freaking Staley, two 49ers that were the top two, two up there was Frank Gore, two, two great all-time 49ers. And again, no one was worried about draft positioning at this time. It's Ooh. irrelevant. It's a, you play to win the game. Shout out my boy, Herm Edwards. So I've been spending some more time thinking about this. Why do I think the way I think regarding this matter? And I'm going to go back to my time at college. I went to San Francisco State University, majored in communication studies. 
I learned from a professor named Orion Steele. And I was one of those students who, if I had a 75, 90 minute class, I could not sit through the entire lecture without finding a way to get distracted. But this guy, Orion Steele, he had a way with his words that was just so magical. He can make any argument he wanted, whether he believed in it or not, and persuade you. You bought into everything he said. I was fascinated listening to this professor teach his class, Orion Steele. Look him up on Rate My Professor. If you're familiar with college, it's a huge <laughs> platform where you can provide professor reviews. Oh. Anyway, one of the speeches I had to prepare for his class was a speech on identity and how your identity shapes the way that you see the world, the lens in which you see the world through. And part of your identity is formed through, through your personal experiences. So when I was thinking about why I'm so passionate about the 49ers beating the Cowboys, beating the Seahawks, I immediately went back to my experience being a 49ers fan. I did not grow up watching the 49ers from afar. I grew up up in there. I grew up a 49er fan living <laughs> the 49er fan experience. Going back to our first pod, I touched on my grandpa was a season ticket holder since 1946, the team's inaugural season. My dad had season tickets. I'm a third generation 49er fan. And I think I go back to my days at Candlestick where I went to every single game from when I was four years old up until they left my senior year of high school before they went to Levi's. I reflect on those experiences. And Candlestick holds a very special place in my heart. No matter if the team was sure. good, whether they were bad, there were some horrible years, horrible years with Mike Nolan, with Dennis Erickson, with Mike Singletary. No matter how good nor how bad the team was, you walked away from that stadium with one of two feelings, and it was collective. It was we were all on this together. There was a victory, and you would walk out of the stadium ecstatic. You hear the, the echoes, Niners, just all throughout the stadium. You know, Marco, you've been a candlestick just like I have. You know that feeling. Experience and, of a lifetime, man experience of a lifetime. And when you walk away from that stadium, when there's a loss, there's an eerie silence. My dad and I, we used to take the bus to the game every single Sunday. We would park on San Bruno Avenue. Bacon was across street. We take the bus down to Jamestown, through Jamestown in a candlestick. And on that bus ride home, dead quiet. No one said a word to each other. The, the difference between winning the game and losing the game was drastic, absolutely drastic. And part of that lives through me subconsciously when the 49ers lose and I'm watching the game like I was last week versus the Washington football team. I still feel that candlestick eerie silence where, you know, what just happened on the football field was not acceptable. It should have been better than that. It's frowned upon to be a San Francisco 49er fan and allow your team to lose. So when I think about the upcoming three games specifically against the, the Cowboys, against the Cardinals, against the Seahawks, those are three games, especially against the Cowboys and Seahawks, that carry oh, yeah. a lot of weight. The history of this franchise is so rich. And because you have a better opportunity, a better possibility of landing a higher draft pick, you should not just give up or give in and cave into your rival. Let's feel good about them winning the game for the sake of, hey, I might get Zach Wilson or get Trey Lance. That's just the way that I brought it. I, I tweeted this out earlier today. I cannot even imagine being at Candlestick after a loss, getting ready to get on the bus back home and someone saying, 
well, at least we have a better chance of drafting Zach Wilson or Trey Lance. And someone made that comment back then. Yeah, hands are being thrown. <laughs> you're for sure. You're for sure getting checked. You're getting checked off top. Like it's not even in question. Someone would say something to you. That kind of mindset yeah. does not fly. And that's the 49er. I saw some crazy, some crazy gruesome things at Candlestick. Like I, I remember being in sixth grade with my Nokia flip phone, my, my Samsung flip phone, recording fights the first time. I, like, <laughs> to take you back to school? I, I, especially preseason games between the 49ers and Raiders. And Raiders. Growing, like, oh, my God. Like, there is so – the history of the San Francisco 49ers does not suggest it's within our best interest to lose these games and for the sake of getting a quarterback. And, of course, I'm not saying anybody out there – is advocating that the 49ers should tank, that's frowned upon. No one's straight up saying that. But you do see people out there occasionally that are like, well, if we lose, there's benefits to it. And it's it's a matter of pride to me. I take pride in not just the title of 49ers, but where that title originated from, San Francisco. You know, I'm from out here in the Bay. You're from Modesto. I'm sure you see it too. This is the city where this franchise was founded upon. And you, on game days, you walk through the city, there's people in their 49er gear. It means something to them. They wear the wins on their sleeve. They they wear the losses on their sleeve. And this is part of my theory, and I could be wrong, and I'm not suggesting that this applies to every single person. People that cover the 49ers out of state, and there's tons of people that put great content out there that cover the 49ers remotely from different areas across the United States. It seems to me like there's less pride in the concept of winning and touting that you're from San Francisco because, well, for one, they're not from San Francisco, but they still support the 49ers. There's a disconnect between the team 49ers and then San Francisco 49ers taking pride in where you're from, that your area where you're from has a superior team on display on the field than wherever else there is in the freaking United States. You know, there's nothing like driving in a neighborhood that has their San Francisco 49er flags up. You're honking at your neighbors, you're winning. And then when you lose, you feel it. You're not, you're disappointed and it carries into the next week. And I feel like there are the people who are from San Francisco that share the same experience as me. Shout out to Joe Shasky, Bonte Hill, folks from 95.7 The Game that are San Francisco dudes, they see things the way I see it. This is the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Seattle Seahawks coming up. Richard Sherman was eating turkey legs on Thanksgiving on our logo. It doesn't matter if it was in Santa Clara or San Francisco. That's disrespectful. That's their mindset. That's my mindset. And there's a disconnect between out-of-state people that don't feel as passionate about that issue as us from out here do. And, and that's the that's the problem though, Nick, because like a lot of a lot of Niner fans are from out of state because of the the culture the 49ers have built on. And, and so they 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 were fans, but they've never really been to the stadium or they've never been to games like that. So they don't have the emotional ties that, that exactly. we do. Yep. And so they don't share that same um connection that we do with the 49ers, like actual the logo, the meaning behind San Francisco and who they are. Um and you mentioned Mike Singletary, how we had like terrible teams under him. But there was a quote that always sticks with me uh, from Mike uh, Singletary when he said, I want winners. I want people who want to win. That quote, everyone laughed at him for that shit. Everyone was like, bro, like obviously you're the shitty coach. You're not going to get winners. 
But it's like, no, it's true. You want winners in the building. You don't want a bunch of dudes who are like, well, Kyle, uh, I think we should lose because uh, we need a quarterback on our team. Like, hell no. Nah. They all know. They all There's the elephant in the room. It's, it's there. They need a quarterback. But they're not going out there saying, hey, Nick, uh, you're not good enough to win. Nah, let, hey, Nick, let's go out there and let's get us a damn win. It feels good. You've gone through so many games you just lost recently. Let's get some good momentum on the team. So, like, I understand exactly where you're coming from. And, and I agree with it, Nick. I really do. Right on. I appreciate that. And, again, this is this is not – I'm not projecting this as the way I see things is correct. I'm simply stating that the way I came up, my experience of being a 49er fan shaped my point of view to be this way. And I can understand why a person that doesn't have my same ties to the organization, people that weren't walking around the hallways of candlestick and hearing those echoes, hearing that silence, that discomfort. Candlestick, you, it was... You loved Candlestick, but it was not a state-of-the-art facilities by any stretch of the imagination. You walk into those bathrooms after a loss with the, the troughs, you know, they smell 10 times worse, 100 times worse than they did when you won. And that's just where I'm at. And again, this is not a knock on anybody that's covering the 49ers out of state. Everybody's out there putting in work, putting in work. But just based on my observations, and it's a small sample size, it's not like I sent out a survey, mass collecting data by any stretch. It's an extremely small sample size. But those that aren't from the area are more willing to sacrifice the pride in terms of win and losses for the sake of the future. And I totally get that. I totally get that. And it's valid. Whereas us that were raised within the candlestick community take pride in winning and beating our rivals and have kind of a mindset that's like, we'll cross the draft bridge when we get there. Because like we, you and I have talked about, you can always move up in the draft. There's this notion that the 49ers are going to be SOL shit out of luck if they don't end up with a top 10 pick. Yeah. That's not the case. Not the case. The Kansas City Chiefs had the 27th pick overall in the 2017 draft. They traded up from 27 to 10 to get the quarterback they felt was the quarterback of their future. The Rams in 2016, they traded up with the Vikings. The Eagles, the Eagles. in 2016, they traded up with the Browns. It happens over and over and over. And right now, there's so many great prospects coming into the NFL at the quarterback position. You're bound to found one eventually, but you don't need to sacrifice wins against rivals because of it. And the thing is, I used to, growing up, we used to go to the back of the parking lot where the team parked, and we used to barbecue for the team. And the difference between when the team won versus when the team lost, oh, good Lord. Like, sometimes the players don't even talk to you. They just grab their food and walk to their car. Like, they're, like, stone cold, like, serious face. But when they won, even when the shitty seasons when they won, they're, like, hella energetic and stuff. Like, it, it, it's a good morale to have. And, like, for me, I, I can't wait. I can't lose because i'm just a competitor i'm an athlete so i hate losing but from the business side like everyone looks at the business side of the of the nfl as well and i like to do that sometimes as well because you have to take a step back to analyze the business side from the the player side and everything and from the business side it makes sense to, to tank and lose but at the same time at the business side it doesn't because if you really want to get free agents coming into your your team all these players talk to other free agents hey man i plan on signing with the niners How's that organization? How are they ran? Oh, well, we decided to lose the last five games of the season so they could get their next quarterback. Yeah, so if you guys are having a bad year, they plan on losing. Like, players don't like that stuff. They really don't. So for me, it's 
compete to the till you can because at the end of the day, uh, miracles happen. I believe in miracles. The 49ers could end up making the playoffs with the seventh seed. If the Vikings, Bears, Cardinals, and the 49ers all finish eight and eight for some odd reason, which I don't think is realistic, but if they do, the Niners make the playoffs. It's mathematically possible, and as long as there's a mathematical chance, it's possible. The possibility exists. Again, I referenced this earlier. I'm going to reference it again now. In 2006, the 49ers were five and eight. Five and eight. No one was advocating back then, oh, they're going to be better off to lose out. It's going to benefit their future more. They won two of their next three games, finished the season seven and nine, kicked the Broncos out of the playoffs. They weren't worried about draft position, and they ended up with Patrick Willis and Joe Staley, which is my point that it does not matter where you pick. It matters what you do with it. And, of mm -hmm. course, I, I understand I understand that if we're talking about a situation with the New York Jets, the New York Jets have the first overall pick. That first overall pick is going to eventually amount to Trevor Lawrence if it stays as is. And if you – compromise that by winning a football game like they almost did against the Raiders and the Jaguars suddenly become the number one. That's huge. That's huge. But this is not what we're talking about. This is completely different where we're talking about a shift between drafting maybe ninth, 10th overall to as low as 18th, as long as this team does yeah. not make the playoffs. That's not a drastic shift. There's not a huge problem moving up from the teens, the mid to low, mid to high teens into the top 10. It's been done so many times before that people need to stop obsessing over the idea of ending up with a higher draft pick. It drives me nuts. It's not something I can get behind personally because I shared my experience with everybody. I can't even imagine my grandpa, rest in peace. I cannot even imagine what his face would look like if I were like, Grandpa, what do you think about us losing the next three games so we can draft this young kid out of <laughs> BYU? He'd look at me like, we're not losing anything, you know? I mean, bless his soul. He, he had his seats up in the um, third level at Candlestick in his walking chair. He used to, up until he needed to get a wheelchair up in there so he could take him up the elevators. He, he was getting ready to go to Levi Stadium. He was getting ready to go to Levi Stadium, and they were going to put him all the way up at the top. He was for it until we had to convince him otherwise. He ended up passing away the April, March before the 49ers moved to Levi Stadium. But I cannot even imagine the response I would get if I tried to reason with losing football games by saying the possibility of drafting a player. And again, that's my way of thinking. That's the way my 49er fandom has been shaped. The way I see the team is Herm Edwards. You play to win the game. Hello. And I agree. So after that, let's go into the 49ers Cowboys game because we now did like there's a rivalry between the 49ers from the 90s, the 80s. Um, they took us out of going to three to four more Super Bowls that we possibly could have gone to because there was a battle between us and them. We couldn't get over the the Dallas Cowboys during that time. So for me, Nick, what do you think? For let's go to the offense. Let's just attack offense side of the ball first because I feel like that's going to be the way the 49ers win the game. Every week we know what our defense is coming with. So um, what do you think the 49ers offense led by Nick Mullins needs to do to win this game? Let me start off with a little nugget. Right now, there's been 36 games played between the Cowboys and the 49ers. The Cowboys have won 18, the 49ers 17, and there's been a tie. So this game 
has the opportunity to even the playing field, bring the head-to-head all-time series back to 500, which is absolutely what the 49ers should try to do. Of course, they're not going to tank. Everybody's in agreement regarding, regarding that matter. This is the National Football League. Coaches are playing for their next job, although Kyle Shanahan's safe for quite some time. But this still affects his win-loss record. Players are playing for their next job. This is a very important game for the history of the franchise, which is a franchise that has a great amount of pride to even the all-time record with the Dallas Cowboys. 18 wins to 18 wins. If they lose, now they're two games back behind the Cowboys, and nobody wants to have to deal with that. Back to your point. Back to your question about what the 49ers need to do on offense. Continue to call the game exactly how Kyle Shanahan called last week against the Washington football team in hope and expect that Nick Mullins has a better performance. I really do like Nick Mullins. It's hard for me to just ignore what he accomplished in 2018. Is he a starter in the NFL? No, he's already answered that question. He's not a starter, but I still have faith in him that he can be a solid quarterback that comes in just like he did against the Jets, like he did earlier in the season against the Giants. He carved up that Giants defense. He did. He carved up that defense that could not that stopped Russell Wilson. Think about Russell Wilson's performance against the Giants and think about Nick Mullins. Granted, it was later on in the season that Wilson played the Giants, but Mm -hmm. Mullins still looked good. I like Mullins in small spurts. I think he can thrive in that sort of role like we've seen, but he's not a long-term answer, maybe not even a long-term answer at the backup position. Anyway, what the 49ers need to do against the Cowboys to win on offense They need to continue to get their playmakers involved. And I'll give Kyle Shanahan a shout out. He made it a point of emphasis against the Washington football team, giving the ball to Debo Samuel on the very first play, beating Brandon Ayuk. And by the way, I think Brandon Ayuk is the 2020 version to Nick Mullins as to what George Kittle was in 2018. He throws the ball to Brandon Ayuk like 12 plus times per game, just like he did with George Kittle. So, what the 49ers need to do on offense, get the ball to their playmakers, let Nick Mullins play quarterback, get the ball to Brandon Ayuk. And we talked about this last pod, Marco. You had a couple bold takes that, one, Brandon Ayuk's going to surpass Jerry Rice's all-time record for most receiving yards by a rookie in franchise history, and that he'll be the first rookie receiver to eclipse right. 1,000 oh. yards. And, and I'm with you. I'm with you because this Cowboys defense is among the worst in the NFL. They gave up 30.8 points per game, the worst mark in the NFL. The worst mark in the NFL. I expect Kyle Shanahan and Nick Mullins to have a field day. I can see a 275, 300-yard performance from Nick Mullins with a couple touchdowns where he Mostert's going to play. Jeff Wilson, this team is not going to quit. They play hard, especially on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll get into. But let me turn this question around and ask you, what do the 49ers need to do on offense to win this game? 49ers, to win this game, they have to hand the ball off to get the ball out of out of Nick Mullins' hands as much as possible. Give it to Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. Jeff Wilson's going to be running extremely hard. He's coming back to Texas, his home state, going to have fans in the stadium. That's going to be the time for, for him that he's just trying to prove himself even more because his fans are in the stadium. So I think hand the ball off at least 25 to 30 times because their, their run defense is, is terrible. But then they're gonna they're gonna stop try to stop the run. You have to sell out to stop the run in order to beat the 49ers, especially with the backup quarterback. So they're gonna stack the box. They're gonna put um, the actually the the two players with the most um, rush attempts with a stacked box 
is number one and number two are Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. Why? Because of the lack of quarterback play. So with the, in order for Mike Nolan, I believe, I believe he's still with the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> he's, uh, he's their defensive coordinator. Yeah, Shout out Mike Nolan. I would have already fired him. But um, he's going to try to stack the box. If he's smart, which he isn't, but he should stack the box, put eight men in the box, and sometimes even nine, force Nick Mullins to beat you. So what that means is Nick Mullins must get rid of the ball quick, and that's when Brandon Ayuk has a big game. Brandon Ayuk, Richie James, and I believe I want to see a little bit more of uh, Charlie Warner and, and Ross Dwelly involved because, yes, everyone likes to key in on Jordan Reed, but who else do the, the Dallas Cowboys have that could guard Ross Dwelly and uh, Charlie Warner? Nobody. Jalen Smith and Vanderess, they're not that great in the pass game. So I want to see Nick Mullins and Kyle Shanahan attack the linebacking core as well as feeding the crap out of Brandon Ayuk. And Brandon Ayuk's going to have a huge game. He's going to go for 100-plus yards, um, and that's where it's going to get him starting moving forward to to break that 1,000-yard marker. He'll probably have 120. I want to give a shout-out to Big Golden Nuggets, one of my favorite accounts that follows along to us and he's extremely festive by the way around thanksgiving time he had a nice turkey as his profile picture now he has the grinch with the i love my 49ers hat on shout out big gold nuggets he has a question for us over or under one and a half turnovers for nick mullins i'm gonna take the under i can see nick mullins having a strong bounce back game and I'm going to have a bold prediction that one turnover is not going to be by way of interception he's going to throw no interceptions this game it's going to be the result of a strip sack fumble by Alm Smith or Demarcus Lawrence or someone else on that Cowboys defensive front for that strip sack who's who's who are they going up against is it Mike or Trent Williams I just got to ask do I need to state it do I, need, I mean, do, I, do I need to do it? Do I, I mean, because last week, last week, <laughs> last week, Trent Williams was getting worked by the, by the young dude, uh, Chase Young. He was getting worked. He really was. But uh, I I would go under one and a half. Um, you don't you hardly see Kyle Shanahan's offense turning the ball over that much like we have been in the in the past couple weeks. So I want to go one and a half. I'm gonna go under. Uh, but you said Alden Smith. Funny funny story backstory on Alden Smith. Do you remember the game where we're playing? Alden Smith gets a sack, runs to the sideline, sits down on the bench, act like he didn't do nothing, and it was a big time oh, sack. Pit, no, Pittsburgh Steelers, Monday Night so Football. I want to say it was maybe so, 2011, 2012. Ben Roethlisberger, he had four or five sacks in that game. Four or five sacks. I'll never forget the lights went out at Candlestick during yeah. that game. Yeah, that so, was, oh, I love me. And he used to do, Alden Smith was lit. He was, uh, yeah. I, that was so my guy. That, that celebration, so in high school, uh, my high school team wasn't that good. We, were, we really weren't, to be honest. We really weren't that good. But I had, uh, I had an interception, right? So I had an interception, and, like, if you go down, like, even, like, if you dive or whatever, you land on the grass when you catch it, same rules apply. You're down, pretty much. So instead of me, I toss it over to the ref and sprint to the sideline like Alden Smith, right? And I just stood there <laughs> like this, and, like, the, everyone was like, what the hell? And I'm just like. And then coach comes up to me, he's hella like celebrating. I'm just like looking at him. Just, I, I was like, I was a big Alden Smith fan. I, I loved Alden yeah, Smith. Um, we loved Alden Smith. Yeah. He brought that swag that the 49ers needed at, at the edge position. And he was just a phenomenal talent. I'm, glad, I'm extremely glad he got his life back on track. Um, no longer doing all the, the bad things, the drugs and all that. And he got back and he's had a good season. I think he's put together a, a really damn good season for coming back oh, off the street. For sure. 
For sure. There's been some great storylines this year as far as comeback players go. Allen Smith is right up there. Not quite on Alex Smith's level for what he had to overcome. But when you look at Jason Verrett and Darren Waller, the comeback stories of Darren Waller and Allen Smith, are they have no. similar parallels. They're not completely aligned, but they're great stories where you really are pulling for the guys. I love Allen Smith, and it's funny. Because a young Nick Newman, when I was in high school, Allen Smith was drafted 2011. So I was a sophomore, maybe a yep. sophomore in high school. I remember I, I, I Facebooked at the time because Twitter wasn't as big as it yeah, was today. I, this is one of my worst takes and I'll own it. I'll admit it. I remember getting on Facebook right away after the selection. I was like, Allen Smith, Blaine Gabbert was the way to go. The 49ers screwed this up. You know, and it's just like, I'll own that. I mean, come on. I was a... 13, 14, 15 years old, my sophomore year of high school, the 49ers needed a quarterback. There was years of bad play from Alabama. That was my worst sports take, my worst take of all time, and I'll stay by it. But it's funny because the Alton Smith celebration where he does his little shoulder cross, right. I'll, ne I'll, I'll never forget. My dad was a huge Alton Smith fan too. Had his number 99 jersey. There was very few jerseys that my dad – he owned a lot of jerseys, but there were very few jerseys that he would wear to the game. It was always the 44 Tom Rathman. He used to wear that 44 <laughs> Tom Rathman jersey to like every single game. And we used to sit in uh, section 36 of the north end zone, the, the end okay. zone with the jumbotron. And every time there would be a point after touchdown, a field goal, we would be able to spot ourselves. We would record every single game, and I was always able to identify where I was based on the jersey my dad was wearing. So he used to wear 44, and then he used to wear the 42 Ronnie Lott that had this graphic of Ronnie Lott. was a Hall of Fame jersey. And nice. the only the only modern-day jersey he really wore was Alton Smith. And I'll never forget one game, Alton Smith had a sack, and I turn over and look at my dad, and he's doing he's, the <laughs> – That's hilarious. That's hella funny. It's yeah, dope. It was, it's dope. yeah, it was it was funny, and you know he's a he's an old head. He's not with the the new times or anything like that. It's like yeah. the the equivalent the cool thing would be like a dab. dab or like seeing your dad break out like a TikTok dance or something. That's what it was at the time. But yeah, it's funny. It's funny. But shout out Alden Smith though. He has a great comeback story, and I'm happy for him. And you know who else is having is on the Cowboys that no one really talks about anymore. Michelle that Robinson. was never. <laughs> Shout out my boy Richard, dude. Richard Robinson I, I was, was gonna sick. Talk I, about him too, man. Uh, if you if you wanted to got into any trouble, he, he was a legit corner, super athletic, a big guy. But they had to get rid of him when they did, and unfortunately, things unfolded how it did. And yeah, it just sucks to see players go down that path, you know. Yeah, but you know, with Richard Robinson, I liked him a lot. So he got in some trouble at LSU when the 49ers drafted him. When Trent Baalke drafted him. I believe he was right around the Dak Prescott pick of the 2016 draft. Um, he didn't play the year prior. He was dismissed from LSU. So he came into the league super young, super young. And he showed some promise. He had a huge interception in that game against the Rams, which a lot of fans, again, don't think the 49ers should have won. And he had the pick in that game. And then the next year he was starting and the 49ers trade him. We have Kyle Shanahan here, our comments on display. I'm drafting Zach Wilson. We'll touch on Zach Wilson a little bit more. But this is something I want to touch on, and this is why I kind of have this mindset that everything always plays its way out. Every Everything always plays its way out. And I'm going to shout out Jordan. Splash Cousins. I'm sure you heard of Splash Cousins on Twitter. We were going back and forth a little bit in regards to draft positioning and why it does or does not matter. 
I feel like you can sit on your draft positioning. You don't need to try to get the best draft pick possible. You can make moves. Jordan, on the other hand, he brought up the point about how the 49ers were in a position to get Nick Bosa, and if they drafted after two, they would not end up with the player of Bosa's caliber. Correct. And then he talked about the meaningless the meaningless game-winning touchdown Kaepernick scored against the Rams at the end of the 2016 season, which ultimately moved the 49ers from the first overall pick, which Miles Garrett went, to the second overall pick, which would later be traded from the Bears to draft Mitch Trubisky so the 49ers could draft Solomon Thomas third overall. And this is what I'm talking about as to why things always work themselves out and play themselves out. If Miles Garrett's drafted in 2017, Nick Bosa's not in, no, on the 49ers in 2019. He's not. So everything, not. everything always works its way out. I just don't see – imagine how – think about how bad the 49ers' defense was in 2018. They forced the – the least of they had the least amount of interceptions of all time, like tied mm -hmm. for the least amount of interceptions of all time in the common era. Miles Garrett changes that. He changes that. And that team is likely better and not in a position to draft second overall. So when I say things work themselves out, that's what I'm talking about. It's just it's too early to project how things will play out. Like even looking at Nick Bosa that's now it. in 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 hindsight, in hindsight, Nick Bosa, great pick at second overall. But it's extremely early to say, is he really going to have a better career than Quinnen Williams? There's so many things that you need to take into consideration. I love Nick Bosa. I was at the game against the Panthers where he had the interception, almost took it back for a touchdown. I love watching that dude. I love it. But you cannot turn a blind eye to his injury history. He tore his ACL in high school. He had a four-go his Final year at OSU, shut down early because I believe it was a peck, something in the chest, rotator cuff area yeah. that needed to shut down a season. And now, year two in the NFL, he tore his ACL again. It's not his first ACL injury. It's his second. So how could you confidently say Nick Bosa was the right pick at number two? Granted, of course, after one year as a rookie, he was defensive rookie of the year. Of course he was the right pick. But later on, five years down the road, if Bosa starts wearing down because of all these injuries and Quentin Williams is going strong. If you could do a redraft, you're going to draft Quentin Williams over Nick Bosa. So it's just too early to say everything has a way of playing itself out. You cannot worry about draft positioning in December unless you're the New York Jets who have an opportunity to completely flip the script on their franchise. And the thing is, Nick, I also don't think it's about where you draft, for example, the 49ers ended up with Solomon Thomas. They could have ended up with Christian McCaffrey. They could have ended up with Marshawn Lattimore. They could have ended up with, a, with the best quarterback to potentially ever play the game in Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson. Those two dudes are going to be up there with the all-time greats when they're all said and done. But it's about who they drafted, not necessarily where they were picking. Because when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch came into the organization, John Lynch fell in love with the buddy he had class with. That's who, that's what happened. <laughs> that's, that's what that is exactly what happened. He said, "Look, I love that dude. He's a great guy. I mean, he's a good player on the field, but he is not a defensive end. He was always been an inside guy. Yeah. And they decided he's going to play defensive end. Like, it's not about where you draft. It's about who you draft and what they are. So in the first round, you have to take upside a lot of the times over." the talent because for example the 49ers they they took 
the talent. Yes, Solon Thomas was talented in college. He was a he was a beast. He really was. He was that good in college. Um, a lot of a lot of the experts had him linked to the 49ers in the top five, um, even not the 49ers. But they could have went with a receiver, a running back, quarterback. There, a lot of dudes went in that draft. Uh, Marlon Humphrey went in that draft in the first round. They could have went a lot of ways, is what I'm saying. So for the 49ers fan base to say, well, they, they could have had this guy if they didn't win this game. Well, at the end of the day, every year, are we going to go into every season saying, yeah, oh, I like I like the dude from the DJ, uh, I don't know, his, I don't want to say his last name, but from Clemson. We should take so we could get him. The next yep. year we're taking so we could get him. Yeah, I'm with that. you. I'm with you 100%. And again, it's not a matter of where you select, at least not all the time. It's a matter of what you do with the pick. 2018, Trent Brown is playing good ball as a right tackle for the 49ers. I understand. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I cannot emphasize that enough. I understand why the 49ers traded, traded Trent Brown. They were going to owe him big money, not well, shortly after he became one of the richest tackles in NFL history, if not the richest tackle in NFL history, when he signed that contract with the Raiders after one solid season with the Patriots, after a strong year with Kyle Shanahan and Carlos Hyde. I get why the 49ers traded Trent Brown. But if they were to keep Trent Brown, which they didn't want to do because Mike McGlinchey was more athletic, was a better fit for the outside zone scheme. Trent Brown was a phenomenal pass blocking tackle. Let's just say they opted to keep Trent Brown and they ended up with a player like Mika Fitzpatrick. There are so many players that are all pro caliber where you draft. It's really just a matter of what you do with it. It truly is. And that's why I'm done. I'm done talking about draft positioning in December. I'm almost at the point where it's all, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun looking at mock drafts and being like, oh, where do they got Trey Lance going? Where do they got Zach Wilson going? It's fun. We're football fans. We enjoy fantasy football. We enjoy mock drafts. We enjoy all of that stuff. But the bottom line is it's irrelevant right now. It's irrelevant and things are going to drastically change come April, come May when the draft is truly about to get down a business. So I'm over the whole let's tank Nothing. Well, let me let me backtrack. Let me backtrack because no one's saying let's tank, but let's be upset or let's not want our team to win because of draft. I'm over it. I'm over it. You can move up. We've seen it time and time again. I can lay out example after example after example since the last decade. The last decade. Yeah. Let's go. Let's get back. Let's get back to the to the the Cowboys and on our defense and what we're going up against. We're going up against a Cowboys receiving group i think this is the best receiving room in the nfl like hands down that all together this is the best receiving group in the nfl amari cooper my uh, gallup michael gallup and cd lamb. lamb but yeah, this receiving room is phenomenal well put together um it just sucks that that they lose dak and they don't really have that quarterback so they're led by annie dalton what does robert Sala need to do to, to limit what they could do on offense. So they have Ezekiel Elliott as well and Tony Pollard running the ball, which Pollard is really underrated as a backup running back. I like I like Pollard. Robert Sala, um, I don't think he needs to do anything specific. He has such a great scheme in place and a game, game plan in place for exactly what the 49ers are going to be going up against on Sunday. And we 
we have a difference of opinion on this matter. Before we went live, we were talking about Andy Dalton and Jared Goff. I don't think Andy Dalton has the same athleticism as Jared Goff. You have a different stance on that, which is totally fine. But regardless, they're not quarterbacks that can consistently threaten you outside of the pocket. And that's been the downfall of the 49ers defense, the Achilles heel of the 49ers defense, not just this season, but last season. Look at their losses last year. They lost to Russell Wilson. They lost to Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. They lost to Lamar Jackson. They lost to Matt Ryan, which was a fluke because Matt Ryan is a pocket passer, but they weren't fully healthy for that game. Not to make excuses, they had every chance to win. And then looking at this season, Kyler Murray beat them. Kyler Murray played them super tough last year too, by the way. And you look again, the Seahawks with Russell Wilson, the Bills with Josh Allen. Last week was an outlier in the sense where, well, the defense played great last week. I'm going to cut myself off right there. The defense held the Washington football team to six points. They played great against Drew Brees. Well, I say six because I feel like you can put 17 points on the 49ers offense. Jeff Wilson fumbled the ball right there in in Saints territory. So that's why I say six. But you look at what they what you look at what they accomplished against the Saints. You look at what really the only team that didn't have a mobile quarterback that just abused the 49ers defense was Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins when Brian Allen was starting a quarterback. Outside of that, Robert Sala has great great numbers against all other quarterbacks that can't make plays outside of the pocket as consistently as the Russell Wilsons and Josh Allen and Kyler Murray's of the world. Yeah, I agree. So for me, I think Robert Sala, and it's going to be, it's going to be one of those ones where he needs to give uh, Richard Sherman help and absolutely give him help. If not, they're going to line up. They're going to figure out to do a three by one set and they're going to have Richard Sherman manned up with Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, or CeeDee Lamb. And they're going to run by him. Those dudes got speed. They could track a deep ball. They're, they're, those receivers, they could all they could do everything you could ask from, for, from a receiver. But the reason why I say Andy Dalton is a little bit more athletic, so Andy Dalton, compared to Jared Goff rushing statistics, the uh, most rushing <laughs> yards that uh, Jared Goff has had in the season is 108. It's not a lot for a quarterback, but for, for Andy Dalton, he's had 184. So he's a little bit more mobile. Like he, he could – not a lot. He's not no, you know, Colin Kaepernick or anything, but he could run. Of course. He, he's a sneaky athletic guy when he wants to. And and for me, they're going to get him outside. They're going to get him outside because this 49ers offensive uh, defensive line isn't that great. So he should have a little bit more time. And with all the weapons he has, if, Kyle, if Robert Sala runs a lot of zone, Andy Dahl is going to pick him apart. He's a veteran. He, he He's not his first year in the league. Not his second year in the league. If you keep running that zone with no pass rush, quarterbacks are just going to start picking you apart. And that's what we've seen from his teams. Luckily, Robert Sala has this MO that's, hey, we bend, we don't break. So if they could do that, they'll they be fine. They just need to have their offense to, to help them out, of course, some points. Um, will they get a turnover? Yes. And it's not going to be an interception. It might be an interception, but I think they're going to get a forced fumble on the uh, Ezekiel Elliott, he's been, he's been fumbling the ball quite some some time this year, and he's on the hot seat for the Dallas Cowboys in sense of running the ball. It, I've seen them bench bench him against the uh, Pittsburgh uh, Steelers, where he's running the ball, coughed it up, coughed it up, sit the bench. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. 
I got I got to defend my people. I got to defend my area here. So Jared Goff, Bay Area native, went to high school in Marin. I got to give him some credit. He's a Berkeley cat. I got friends out in Marin. One of my good friends who's a cop in San Francisco, he's a diehard Rams fan since childhood, since birth. Jared Goff, the reason why he doesn't look as athletic as Andy Dalton is because he had Todd Gurley in the backfield next to him his entire career. Oh, so that's why. He has a straight dad bod, bro. That's why. It doesn't allow you to be as mobile when you're a dad Jared, bod. But, but realistic, seriously, I should say, Jared Goff, he's not the most athletic quarterback. and But I opposing defenses – they know he's athletic, whereas, like you touched on, Andy Dalton's more of the sneaky athletic type. I'm trying to think of running backs that Andy Dalton's had in his career before Joe Mixon, before Giovanni Bernard, Cedric Benson, uh, Cedric Ooh. Benson, maybe. Uh, maybe. Dude, uh, I well, they had a Cedric, and I I don't know. Cedric Wilson was a 49ers receiver back in the day, but I'm pretty sure Cedric Benson was in. Yeah, Cedric Benson was a Bengal for sure, and yeah, he was. He was he was with the Bengals from 2008 to 2011, and I want to say Andy Dalton. That was towards the end of his, his career. First, but I'm that was really, Andy Dalton's first year. I'm, I'm really trying to think of which running backs helped out Andy Dalton. None. I, I I can't even have None any really. that come to mind right off right off the top of my head. Let, but see, Jared Goff was blessed with good running backs, and he didn't need to run the ball on occasion. So that's Jared Goff's athletic. He's a Bay Area guy. And I'm giving shout outs to my Bay Area people today. Jeremy Lin is supposedly on the verge Lin of signing with the Warriors. Shout out my Peninsula folks. My Peninsula folks are running deep. We got Barry Bonds. We got Tom Brady. We got Lin Sanity. We got Devontae Adams. The Peninsula is running deep from Brisbane, the northern side of the Peninsula, all the way down to East Palo Alto, all the way down to Atherton. We're we're making things happen out here. We're making things happen out here. For me, I think I think the main thing with this game going going into this game is is we need to understand that it's Nick Mullins versus Andy Dalton. Because if you look at the the way teams have started playing the 49ers, it, it stacked the box, forced the quarterback to beat you, um, and just force don't allow the deep ball, allow everything underneath. Just don't allow the deep ball. And Nick Mullins can't really throw the deep ball anyways. So it's one of those ones where let me just stack the box, take away Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. because that's the 49ers' bread and butter all day. So Kyle Shanahan needs to get creative. And for me, what I would do is I would come out firing the damn ball. You know they're going to stack the box. Come out firing like he did last week. Came out firing. Ran the ball and then started throwing the ball. That's what you kind of need to do. So in the NFL, you could either run the ball to set up the play action or you could throw the ball to set up your run. And the 49ers can't set up no damn play action because when they're going up against eight-man <laughs> boxes, you have to throw the ball to freaking run the ball no. right now. So one of those ones where C uh, Nick Mullins better get it going early and often, or we're going to see CJ time. We're going to see Sunshine. Hey, yo, Sunshine. Hey, yo, Sunshine. All right, I have some names for you that I'm anxiously waiting to drop. First, let's go. You know, ever since the – Bengals acquired AJ Green and Andy Dalton. They've been pretty respectable. They have oh, yeah. been pretty respectable. And I want to say they got those two guys in the 2011 draft. We've been right. talking about the 2011 draft club. So in 2011, the Bengals were nine and seven. And that was the first year under Harbaugh. So week three, the, the 49ers got a huge win. 
after they lost to the Cowboys at home. I remember that game. I'm trying to think of the wide receiver. Uh, he took the ball to like the one or two yard line. It was a great play by the 49ers defender. I, I don't remember if it was Dante Whitner or if it was Deshaun Goldson. I forget who it was, but he tackled, or was it Patrick Willis? I don't remember. All I know is it was week two. The 49ers were fresh off a win against the Seahawks in the 2011 season. They lost to the Cowboys either in the fourth quarter, final seconds, or in overtime. Someone had a tackle right before the goal line to force a field goal, and I think this was before the new overtime rules were in place. Anyway, week three, the 49ers beat the Bengals in Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And do you, do you remember – this is some serious knowledge right here. Do you remember who had the game-clinching interception? Was it Nate Clements? It was Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith? Reggie Smith. I remember Re when Niners, Niners had Nate Clements, and we played the Bengals, well, and he well, had an interception I, on them. Well, I love Nate Clements. I love me some Nate Clements. Turn it off. I thought but, he was badass. Oh, I have his jersey. I have his jersey. That's my guy right there, Nate Clements. Oh, well, Reggie Nelson. So, no, you no, said Reggie. No, I said Reggie Smith. Reggie Nelson Reggie played on the Bengals. Reggie Smith. I I want to say he went to Oklahoma. Anyway, going back to the Bengals, they had some very good years with Andy Dalton, and. His running backs were Ben Jarvis Green Ellis. Do you remember Ben Jarvis Green Ellis? In the yes. And then he eventually got Jeremy Hill out of LSU. But anyway, Andy Dalton's not that mobile. At least in my opinion, he's not as I mean, mobile. He's, as, I mean, he's not. As, he's on a, now let me clarify. He's not like mobile where he's going to well, abuse no, you. With his no, no, no one was trying. No one was going to. Of course not. Of course not. But do you, are you sticking by he's still as athletic as Jared Goff? He's more athletic than Jared Goff. Oh my God! We could let's put. We'll have Jared Goff and Andy Dalton. We'll sponsor the event. We'll sponsor it. The Faithful Fanatic Podcast. We'll sponsor it. We have that's, Andy that's Dalton over that's here. Mix of pocket stuff. <laughs> we'll have them run the forty-yard dash. We'll have them do all these agility drills. We'll make it like a game of wipeout, like on ABC Seven wipeout. Some MXC back in the day. We'll have Jared Goff and Andy Dalton compete. And I'm putting my entire savings account on Jared Goff. My That's entire right. savings account on Jared Goff. 49ers, defensively. Let me hop in real quick. Defensively, they just got to continue to do what they've been doing. I really like how this team plays on that side of the ball for Robert Sala. They rally around him. They rally around Robert Sala. And I see them shutting down the Cowboys offense. The Cowboys offense has taken a step back since Dak Prescott got hurt. Of course they have. Anytime you go to your backup quarterback, that happens. Just ask the 49ers of what's been going on this season. But Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, they're elite receiving threats. I just like the 49ers' chances knowing how well they perform when there's a, a not a stationary quarterback, but a quarterback that's not an elite mobile quarterback at the position. So fun fact, I just looked it up. They both ran a four eight two. <laughs> they both ran a four eight two. Yeah. Well, hey, I'll tell you why I'm not wrong right now because Jared Goff's about six, seven, eight years younger. Yeah, six, seven, yeah, eight years younger. Right <laughs> he's, now, I'm he's looking more at athletic. He's more athletic because he's younger. But I still think Eddie Don has a little bit juice in him. I, I think he's. 
So the way I hey, see it is Andy Dalton's on a one-year contract, so he's fighting for a, another year. Let me, let me just say, just don't ever count out the red rifle. Yeah, exactly. And he's 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 legit. I, I really liked him coming out of TCU, and I think, to be honest, Nick, I, I don't I see us winning any games. Um, I want to win the Ouch. damn games. Ouch. I don't. I really don't. Um, not because I want us to lose. Because if, no, of course not. I, yeah, I know you don't. I know. I have, know how you came up. I, I I know that the 49ers have Nick Mullins. They have Andy Dalton. That's what it's going to come down to. I but I'm gonna. I would personally take Andy Dalton any day of the week over Nick Mullins. And then when we go to uh, the Seattle Seahawks and the the uh, Arizona Cardinals, they have they have better quarterbacks than us. And then that's where NFL you win games right there with the quarterback. Hey, hey, hey. Let me throw something at you right now. Nick Mullins, 2018. Everybody and their mamas, their daddies, their grandmas, their grandpas, their aunties, their uncles, they said, no way. There's no way this Nick Mullins guy is going to beat the Seahawks for the first time since 2012, 2013. You know what Nick Mullins did? He did it. You know, Colt McCoy, Colt McCoy, I'm, I'm one of these people. I said if Colt McCoy plays against the Seahawks, the Seahawks are winning by 30 points. Cole McCoy beat the Seahawks. It's the NFL. Any given Sunday, the only term that the only team that term does not apply to is the New York Jets for this year. Other than that, any given Sunday, Marco, Marco, let 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 me drop this on you. The 49ers on Sunday, the offense is going to have a field day, 400 plus yards, 400 plus yards, a minimum of 275. From Nick Mullins, 100 yards from Brandon Ayuk, who's a freaking beast. The defense is going to play exceptionally well. The 49ers win. They're going to be 6-8, and eight, and you know who's not going to shed a damn cr- tear over it is me. And I would, I, 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 I'd, be, I'd be happy. Because of course I you a, would. I, 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 I know you would. I know I you would. I was one that I have. And we've already been texting back and forth because I can't stand the Cowboys. Yeah, so. you, I'm, I'm going to. Go on Twitter, and every time I see a, I'm so angry the 49ers won, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, I'm just going to put the crying emoji right there, the laughing emoji, send, send, send. Guess what? We'll deal with it in April. We'll deal with it in May. We got Uh, picks. We we might get two third-rounders for Robert Sala if he can get a head coaching job. We will. It's likely. There's so many teams that that are firing their head coaches. He will be a head coach next year, hundred percent. I'm hundred percent sold. He will. All right, let's let's very quickly. We want to keep this episode short. Where do you think the best fit is for him? He's going to go back home to Michigan. That's where I think he goes. Um, but then at the same is, time, let me let me let me stop you right there. Do you think going back home to Michigan is the best fit for him, or where he's going to end up? I think that's where he ends up. Best fit for him would um, would be Jacksonville. Uh, I think that's where he should go. Um, you just take a young offensive coordinator from the 49ers. You're going to take uh, LaFleur or Mike McDaniels. And if you take those guys, you get the quarterback that they want after Trevor Lawrence. And, hey, look, you get to run your offense. You're going to be a future head coach. You run your offense how you run it. I'm going to help with the defense. And I'm just going to rally everyone together. And, and I think that's a good organization for him to go to because Trent Baalke is there, but he's not the general manager. So he's an <laughs> interim general manager. So he could come with a general manager of his liking, and they could come in and, and run ship. He could end up taking the 49ers, um, Adam Peters. He could take Martin Mayhew. Oh, not Adam I don't want him. 
I don't want him to take Adam Peters, but if he's, if they're smart, that's what that's what will happen. Adam Peters, he needs to be a general manager for a team. He's he's the scouting head scouting guy in the 49ers office. It's not John Lynch. It's Adam Peters. And that's where Robert Solo should do. I would if I was Robert Solo, I'd go to Jacksonville where you once coached. You know what it's like to, to coach under that ownership. That's where I, that's where I think he should go. Not wrong. If I'm Robert Sala, not well, he probably wants to go back home to Michigan, like you touched on. If I can go to any of the open vacancies around the league, I'd go to Houston. I'd go to Houston. You got your quarterback of the next 10 years locked in. You have JJ Watt. You have a ton of pieces in place. Now, the trade off there is that you don't have no picks, high draft picks, no picks. But if I'm Robert Sala, and my legacy, and there's going to be pressure on him. When you're entering as a head coach for the first time, you have two, maybe three years if you're lucky. And he's one, not just a head coach, Nick. He's a minority head coach, which is even harder to become in the yeah. NFL. So, it, so it, a lot wins on them. Only There's only been 18 uh, minority head coaches in the NFL entirely, like the entire history. So a lot yeah. of shoulders, weight on the shoulders. But thank you for acknowledging that. And I'm in 100% agreement. It only makes the path to success that much harder because you might not mm-hmm. have a longer leash as other head coaches. So if I'm Robert Sala. I see Houston has Deshaun Watson. They still have J.J. Watt under contract. I know I'm not getting any picks, but I feel like there's enough in place. There's enough building blocks. There's enough of a foundation in place where I can take this team to where it needs to go. That's where I'm going over Jacksonville, over the lions. Although there's some issues there with the Houston Texans organization that may make things a little uncomfortable to go there. The ownership, man. The owner. Yeah. We, and we've talked about it on the pod, how they've been out of pocket and made some comments that are don't fly this day and age. That should never have flown in the first place. Nope. And for me, I, I would if I was Robert Sala, um, I understand that it's that Lewis Reddick has other guys in mind. He has Mike McDaniels. Lewis Reddick and Mike McDaniels are paired together. But if I was Robert Sala, I would be on the phone every day with Lewis Reddick and say, wherever you go, I want to follow you. Like we should be paired. Because Lewis Reddick is gonna be a really damn good general manager for wherever he goes. Predictions. Sunday. Give me a final score. Final score, um, I'm going to go – it's going to be a, a, a 20, 24, 21. The Dallas Cowboys end up beating us in a tight oh, game. So oh, I can never. No gut punches, and I'm just going to be pissed early morning, not want to do anything for the rest of the day. And I, I know. I know how that goes. I know it. I know it. I know it. I'm trying to pull up. I can't even remember. Off the, I'm getting so old now. Am I 25 years of age that I can't even recall off the top of my head what I typed out this morning? I have the 49ers winning. I have the 49ers winning by a final score of 31 to 23. 49ers win by eight points. They're three point favorites in this game. The Cowboys give up 30.8, 30.8 points per game. They, they give up points. And the 49ers will eclipse that margin by two-tenths of a point. Final score, 31-23. Nick Mullins will be back as a backup or a backup's backup next year. 
I see that happening, and I'll take Mullins over Andy Dalton. I'll stay. I, I would not. I would not. <laughs> hey, this for me has been one of my more favorable episodes of the Faithful Fanatics podcast. We had viewers the entire a hundred and a hundred an hour and three minutes, the entire sixty-four minutes going on sixty-four minutes throughout this podcast. We appreciate you guys so much for continuously tuning in. We wish you all a happy holiday, happy Hanukkah, which is coming to an end. Happy Christmas, happy new year. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you all. Yep. yep.